BS Conversations is a rock and roll bedtime stories spinoff podcast where we get to sit down and talk to the folks who make the magic happen. We talk about them in our regular shows that go up on Wednesdays, and then uh, occasionally we post one of these where we get to sit down with a music maker, a change maker, an artist, somebody who is doing the stuff that we like to talk about, and we get to just have a conversation. Uh, And so we got really lucky this week. We have on the show Brian Vanderark. Uh, you probably know him from the band The Verve Pipe. If you are of a certain age, you know all the words to the freshman. Don't even act like you don't. Uh, but you probably know their extensive catalog and a lot of his other work, including stuff he did for kids. Um, and he is just an absolute blast. I won't sit here on the front end of this and talk about how great it was, but it was great. And uh, we have a really, really, really good time. So, Thank you for buckling in, being a part of this. Check out everything that Brian does. Um, and it, check out this. It is a BS conversation, rock and roll bedtime stories. My name is Brian, my buddy Murdoch, and my new other buddy Brian. Right now, BS conversations. Keep telling stories. sure murdoch we've talked about brian on the show before uh, yeah do- stand up and shout is why we've talked about it, brian. <laughs> oh we, yeah great we, uh, so yeah. great song uh, sammy hagar wrote that i think right yes. yeah uh, stand up and shout we did an episode Fantastic. way back episode 107 was uh called judas priest versus the movies and uh mm-hmm. it was about the movie rockstar which mm-hmm. uh, was one of my favorite movies when i was in college uh and mm-hmm. i don't know what that says about me or the movie uh, but uh, you were in that movie, you have right? Fairly good taste. It says you have yeah, yeah. not amazing taste, but pretty good taste. Yeah. You saw Brian in a movie. That, that yeah. was your favorite movie, dude. So, so tell me about that experience. About like, how do you go from you know what you be being a rock and roll musician, being in the Verve Pipe, and then getting this opportunity to be in this movie about? other rock and roll musicians well there were always uh, opportunities to write songs for other people and uh for movies and that kind of thing and so you know you get a emi was our publisher at the time and we would get a list of of movies that needed songs and that one was the most interesting because they were looking for a ballad that was kind of a seattle-esque battle ballad 90s type of ballad and so um i was like oh that's right up my alley and uh and so i read the script uh, and uh, and came up with the song <clears throat> "Colorful," and then when I uh, when my manager submitted, uh, he submitted me to um, audition for it as well because they were looking for musicians who could act. And so I went in and did the audition. I handed them the tape. Uh, it was actually a CDR, if you remember those. Oh hell yeah! Uh, and uh, and I auditioned, and they liked the audition. And then he called me later. The director called me later, and and said he loved the loved the song. And I was like, oh, awesome! And then I didn't hear anything forever and then uh, i got a i got a script sent to me two or three months later and it was for a movie <clears throat> called um, <clears throat> metal god or something yeah uh and that was what the original title of the <clears throat> movie was rockstar whatever actually the original one i got was this is such a convoluted story now the original one i got was for the uh, for metal god and then i got a script for the movie called rockstar on my door three months later and I look, I was leafing through it and I was like, 
sounds kind of familiar. And I looked in the back, and then my lyrics were printed in the script. Oh, wow. On color phone. I was like, what the fuck? They told me my song. And, and I put it in the movie. He said, hold on, let me find out what's going on. And it turns out that I gotten the part in the movie and that they were using the song and like <laughs> nobody told me. Uh, and so I had to be, uh, I had to go be in LA in like, you know, a couple of weeks. And, uh, and they, originally they wanted me to be the guitarist, but I, and I was like, Oh my God, I can't play lead guitar. Plus Zach Wild is going to be in it. I'm going to play lead guitar with Zach Wild. <laughs> can I just play bass? <laughs> they're like, yeah, I guess we can make you the bass player instead. So whoever was playing bass originally got kicked out for me to play the bass uh but that's i mean th those kind of opportunities come up you know we've had opportunities where remember the drew carey show we yeah, we yeah. had an opportunity they actually wrote a script with our band in it and it was going to be a battle of bands and the whole thing and it was and it specifically said us and had lines for me and my manager was like eh, we don't we don't want to do that do we <laughs> and i was like um i don't know i mean i like drew carey a lot i like the show but you know, some choices you make are good choices. Some make choices you make are bad choices. And uh, Rockstar happened to be a good choice of one to work on, you know. Yeah. Did um, And this is a – this I don't think this is a negative thing to do because it's it's been out there for so long. And it's kind of a joke. Do you have anything positive to say about Stephen Jenkins? Because <laughs> the, 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 60, the, the 60 songs that shape the 90s podcast, when it gets to – when it gets to semi-charm life, it opens with everyone saying the most terrible things about him. And it's the guys in the band. Like, right. it's not like random people. It's like bass player. <laughs> third eye blind. Common. Listen, uh, sent, that's a common sentiment. Um, you know, he, uh, I always, I've always liked Steven. I'll tell you why I'm the guy that likes kind of likes the strong personalities in football. I like the Bill Cowers, you know, I like the Mike Ditkas. I yeah. mean, I like the guys who are super opinionated and kind of an asshole. And that's who Steven is. And so yeah. I've, I've always kind of liked him. But there was that moment where I don't think the rumor was on the set, you know, the night we were doing the parking lot fight scene. Oh, man, I've rewatched that recently. I've rewatched that well, scene yeah, recently. such a great scene. And, uh, <laughs> And, the, and and Stephen was late, <clears throat> and the rumor was that he didn't like the fact that he didn't have his own trailer, or his trailer wasn't as big as Mark Wahlberg's and, and Jennifer's, or whatever. You know, that was the rumor, and so. I had to go around. Like I already told people, like I know Steven's got a bad reputation, but he, he's really a cool guy. If you get to know him, he's a nice guy or whatever. He's all right. He's a good guy. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so that was the rumor. And it was kind of pissing everybody off because it was taking a long time. It was a night shoot. And so when he showed up, we did one scene. We did the scene and uh, where he gets out. We see him pulling the flyer off or whatever. And, uh, and I say, oh, I thought I smelled pussy. Uh, I just ad-libbed that line. <laughs> and Mark lost it. Everybody lost it. And so the director said, God, he said, he said we got to put that in. We got to keep it in. You know, and you guys can't crack up at it or whatever. So they set up a new shot and everything. And I got that line in. Uh, and it was mostly out of frustration because the guys was being such a pussy. <laughs> you know? So uh, it ended up being, I didn't get a writing credit in the movie, God damn it. But uh, So that was an ad lib line. So that's honestly, I like to this day, I, again, I don't mind Steven. 
to know. I mean, uh, like I said, I like those kind of strong personalities. I hate the guys that are like, oh, everything's great. Oh, I love that band. I love this. You know, it's just boring to me. It's like the same old thing, saying all the right things. What's, what fun is that? Yeah, <laughs> it's like playing the playing the game. Uh, yeah. You know, the one thing about Steven, and I can say this about you, like now actually seeing you, like I've watched you on other things or whatever, like the Zoolander good looking thing has stayed. And that was the <laughs> 90s, which is now like feels like eons ago. Yeah. Um, and I've I've like changed looks and gained weight and things have gone and like, I don't know. And you look like you're. It's fantastic. Well, listen, you know, it helps that, you know, these, uh, if you find the right filters, uh, <laughs> little Vaseline on the lens, this is why I was kind of disappointed. You, you guys, no offense to Riverside or what, whatever this is, this format, this format you're using, but you know, zoom has got the touch up thing. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing it on zoom? God damn it. Now what do I got to do? So I spent an hour in makeup this morning. <laughs> But uh, there's no touch-up feature on this. Oh man, you're right. Yes, there is together, it. Riverside. There is it. Yeah. Uh, shat. I don't even know what this looks like if it's <laughs> too pale or washed out or anything. I gave up. Yeah, I know. Like the lighting on your end is good, Brian. Everything is good. Uh, I don't know what. L- listen, I had to shut my. You know, I love to show off my city. I live right downtown Grand Rapids, and it's a beautiful skyline. And uh, believe it or not, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I had to shut my curtains to make my. Uh, I had to choose between the beautiful skyline or making my face look good. <laughs> so you know, these are uh, these are things we. I'd much rather just say fuck it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's something freeing about that. Sure. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, too concerned. Too so concerned. we we spent a lot of time on this show talking about rock and roll. We've already dived dived into this, right? We just talked about Stephen Jenkins, which I, I should inform you, Murdoch is fucking with me because I am a huge Third Eye Blind fan and a defender of Stephen Jenkins, and so he was mm. that was he knew I would ask that question if he didn't, and he wanted to get he yeah. did, wanted to get. He to had a person. vacation that got in the way. They had a show here where we live in Louisville, and I know that really bothered. Brian, that he was going like you were out of town. And no, we we canceled the. I, I I got the vacation canceled. <laughs> but anyway, oh, uh, you know, I went. went. I went. Anyway, uh, so we're not we're not here to talk about that. Uh, yeah, you we're know, here to talk to Brian. Right, rock and roll rumors, right? So I always I like to ask people who have been in rock and roll a couple of things. One, what rumors have you been a part of? We'll get to that. But first, like, what's the first rock and roll rumor that you remember hearing? Like, even as a kid, that maybe gave you the the bug to say like what's it like to be oh, a rock star yeah well when i was a kid you know early 70s was when music really started to become important to me and the rock and roll rumors were all alice cooper like oh yeah alice cooper like i remember one of them that stood out was alice cooper sent a bucket out into the audience and everybody spit in it and then Alice drank it. <laughs> oh my God, what? I have to go buy his records. <laughs> you know, shit like that. You know? Dude, he- you know, and the Aussie thing with the hat, you know, biting the head off a bat, yeah, that yeah. was huge then too. So, you know, those were kind of, um, you know, now it's uh, mostly it's myth, you know, but right. uh, when little kids, you know, when you're in third, fourth grade and rock and roll is becoming important to you, you know, you're looking for those kinds of stories because you didn't know really what any artists look like or what their behavior was because we didn't have MTV and MTV news, you know, and you kind of had to rely on 
you know, cream magazine or these other magazines to see pictures of them backstage and just get a glimpse of who they are, you know? Uh, And then there were only, you know, two TV channels back then or something. So, you know, nobody ever had any camera back there or would even care to, you know, film that it was so subversive. Um, but that's yeah. not, those are the only two I can remember that I mean Alice Cooper really- is such a good one too and we had we had the opportunity to talk to Dave Liebert who managed him for a while and yeah, yeah. you know you, you'll hear this over and over that like sort of the dichotomy between his stage persona and his personal persona like he was he's like this totally cool dude who now is like I think a born again Christian who bought a piece of the Hollywood side like you know like because yeah, he was yeah, historical yeah. preservation like he's like this yeah. upstanding citizen I think he might vote Republican like everything is a little scary about it uh, yeah. but it's so different than what he cultivated on stage and he just he just came through and played a theater here too i think and it's like the dude is in his 70s still doing the whole shtick with the yeah the blood and the monsters and everything yeah it's insane well when we went out with kiss you know we when we we toured with kiss in the you know early before i mean right before our album came out i think you know because we were trying to set up the record you know and and get as many people to see us as possible and and uh, I remember reading an article about the Kiss tour, and it was, they gave the ages, and they were like, you know, Gene Simmons, 54, you know, and it was like, holy shit, he's 54? What the fuck yeah. is he still doing playing rock and roll, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And like, <clears throat> that's a joke now. I mean, Mick Jagger blew it all wide open for everybody, you know? Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, well, you know, you know, so we're doing an episode coming up on, on Jefferson Airplane, and I was doing some research about Grace Slick. And, you know, Tina Turner just died. And I read something in passing that Grace Slick is a month older than Tina Turner. And, you know, you think yeah. about... Oh, yeah. is that right? Yeah. And she's yeah. still alive. Yeah, she was born in like 39, oh. I think. So, yeah. I, it, yeah. I met her, Brian. She she has a, a, a art gallery in Vegas, like at Caesars Palace. And she was doing like a, a tour around the country. And she I was working in Denver, in Denver Radio... And she came on. It was like amazing. Like Grace Slick came in, and you could tell, like gray hair, white hair. She, all that. Um, and we didn't have eight second delay on, and she fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck, <laughs> like everything. And it was like so amazing. Well, they were famous uh, for that. They did that on the Dick Cavett show. Like they would, they would use. They actually, people don't know this about airplane. They pushed the use of the f word in rock and roll. Like that was a thing that they did. Like because of them, uh, record labels got more comfortable with saying the word fuck, which is hilarious. Oh, thank wow. God. Trendsetters, you know, and now we're all just <laughs> dropping the F-bombs. I love it. I well, love it. When I was a kid, we used to curse. You know, I was. I grew up in a very super strict, conservative, Christian reformed home where we went to church <laughs> twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday, and you read the Bible at every meal yep, and all yep, this yep. other shit. And we used to curse, but we would just leave off the last consonant. So it would be like, shit. <laughs> you're good to go brian, brian and i brian and i talk our experiences growing up are like radically different so that's what brian's life was like yeah um and he had that and we have this i have this really great example like we were talking about the super bowl and he was yeah. talking about what he did when he was a teenager and he's like we would go to the church and, and i would eat potato chips and i would <laughs> i was like i went to carlita's garza's house and her mom bought us whiskey and beer and cigarettes <laughs> And then we drove home. It's like nothing, no rules, no curfew. Um, so, but what does that say now about your? I don't know you guys, other than what we've, <clears throat> you know, we've been on this call for what ten minutes or fifteen minutes or something. So, what does that say about you now? 
Like I, you know, like for example, me, it's really easy to be a rebel. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, I get a tattoo and like my parent, my parents would be spinning in their grave if they were, you know, if they knew. Uh, So, you know, it's super easy to be a rebel. Uh, When I was a kid, you know, I'd never been on an airplane until I went in the army. I hadn't had a drink until after high school, until I was in the army. The army is what saved me, frankly. Uh, you know, so, wow. you know, what, what about you guys? I mean, how does your, not, how does your Christian upbringing, are you an atheist like I am now, or are you? Well, I'll, tell, I'll say it this way. The first semester of college, I got arrested twice. <laughs> so, oh, <yeah>. right. <laughs> I just, I went I real hard, real fast, up against a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And I was introduced to the concept from my dad and we were never really pals once I grew up and never close and we're really estranged at pretty much all the way to the end. Um, But when I was a kid, he threw that concept to me about like, you know, he didn't write this book and this is all imaginary and they rewrite the book. And how do you, there's an imaginary person that decides whether people are good or bad. And there's a place that's bad that people go to, like, shouldn't everybody go to the good place? And he's like, it's a bunch of bullshit. And it was very difficult growing up in middle Tennessee where I was not going to church. Sure. Um, Because it, yeah, it was, I, I don't know any other way to explain like, there, other than having glasses and being a dweeb, like I had those two things going for me. Right. Um, right. That's funny know, could, because, you know, you don't really normally think of like I, I that's how I talk to my kids about it, you know, about Christianity, because we still live in Grand Rapids, which is a Dutch community. And they're still pretty religious here. They they're eased up on, you know, people can swim on Sundays now, at least here, uh, you know, without being looked at sideways. But, you know, I have that same kind of talk with my kids, that kind of incredulity of, you know, like, why would you believe in a magic man in the sky and the whole thing, you know, and it's it's it goes against everything that I was ever taught when I was a kid. But I feel like there are so many opportunities for kids to learn about all religions. And uh, and it's so it's fascinating to me, the world religions, and they shouldn't shut that out. You know, yeah. when Christians just say, well, you either believe in our God or you're going to hell. And it's just it's laughable, you know, and I, I like, you know, I think you're fortunate that your your parents actually said that to you and you were able to like look at it through that, you know, uh, you know, through that view instead of like f- carrying around Christian guilt for most of my life until I finally said, fuck this. I'm Dude. not going to feel guilty anymore. Dude, what, what, what age did you do that at? Because I think I did it last week. Yeah, I'm going to say, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant about it, but it really was years. It was into the time of the, you know, the when the freshman was big and everything. And, you know, and it was a it was a pro-life message, uh, not intentionally, but it sounded like a pro-life message. Oh, it was I like, never even thought about that. She kills herself and like. <sighs> You know, and I was like, I was pro-choice, but people thought it was pro-life. And, you know, that's when I started questioning things. And then I think when my dad, when my dad, probably when my mom died because she was a saint, that I finally said, okay, I'm putting all this to rest. You know, so it's been probably four or five years, but I've been able to say I'm an atheist. You know, uh, I did give it a shot. Um, I know Brian maybe thinks, maybe knows this, but at some point I was in a relationship with somebody and they wanted they wanted to go to church. So I, I did try, I went to a non-denominational one and then they fired the pastor and then got some fire and brimstone 
whatever pat robertson insane person so i we left there we went to a buddhist we went to a temple that didn't work um (laughs) i mean i thought i should get like a t-shirt with the dates on the back or like what denomination (laughs) i was doing and like canceled at the end yeah because that it didn't that was i mean that was a difficult thing in the relationship to be like yes this this doesn't work me. You might be old enough to to remember before Woody Allen was canceled. Um, you know, when he did Hannah and her sisters. I don't know if you remember that movie yeah. or not, but he was trying to figure out what was afterlife. And so he went to all just like you did. Yeah. Went to all these things and decided he was gonna try. I think it was just Catholicism. And then there's that great scene. He comes back from the grocery store and he he puts down his he puts down a cross first. He is unpacking the bag cross. And then he puts down a picture of Jesus where the eyes follow you, you know. And then he puts down a thing of mayonnaise and wonder bread on top of it. You just got so perfect, man. <laughs> Just brilliant. <laughs> love yeah. him so much. I don't love him anymore. I want to make that clear. Yeah, <laughs> my kids will have my my daughters will have my have my ass if I say yeah. Him. Well, what Thir- Thirty years ago, everything you want to know about sex, but we're afraid to ask. That was great, but it's terrible now. Yeah, yeah, it's so, awful. Yeah. <laughs> don't laugh. Uh, my favorite Woody Allen gag of all time since we're celebrating things we're not supposed to be celebrating is the one where like he's I forget which movie it is uh, but they're they're supposed to be obscuring in the interview they like cut to an interview of like a parent or something and they're supposed mm-hmm. to be obscuring their face and so they just put on the Groucho Marx mask <laughs> instead oh, of like yeah. doing no, that was uh, uh, and, and I don't know a lot about Woody Allen movies because I'm not a fan uh, but <laughs> there you uh, go that was take the money and run. Yes. Yeah, that was a great yes. one. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. So, I mean, it was great for them. You know, we, we've talked about your origin story with religion, all, all sorts of places. I didn't think we were going to get to go, which is great. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in your rock and roll origin story too, right, man? Like when did you fall in love with rock music? Well, we weren't allowed, like I said, we, well, we try to segue the, into this in a way that uh, makes sense, but we weren't allowed to listen to any rock and roll Dude. until, you know, it was all, it, no secular music. It was all Christian music. And did, Christian did you hear music. any of the early Christian rock bands? Like, were you, were you there for like oh, love God. song yeah, and we, all that shit? <clears throat> well, this was before like Christian music had a distorted guitar. Right, right, right. It was folksy. <laughs> it was like, you know, there's, there was, we were talking about this with there's Dylan's, uh, phase like do you, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've ever studied that we did an episode called uh, Bob Dylan versus Jesus Christ <laughs> about his I love that. his conversion I love that. and it's a yeah. fascinating period but you know he's mm-hmm. hanging out at this place with Larry Norman and with the guys from Love Song and with these early yeah. dudes who were building this thing uh, that becomes right. contemporary Christian music or CCM as yeah. we called it in my house growing up. Yeah, well, when I was, I was going to say in later, later years, and it was around the time of the army, army, I was listening to, you know, uh, oh my God, Benny Hester and uh, Phil Cahey and all these other Phil guys. Phil, Phil Cahey's a legit guy. guitar player, dude. Phil Cahey's oh, a Phil legit a guitar, guitar player. player. No, he's a great guitar player. I'm missing a finger too, which is crazy to me. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, might as well cut my pinky off. I can't play any speed anyway so maybe you i don't know if his pinky's missing anyway what i was trying to get to what i was saying was <laughs> that my brother snuck in a kiss record <clears throat> right and then th- ironically that's when i was born again <laughs> you know what i mean from from the knights in satan's service yeah that's that's, right. that's what that's what sent me into that band did, yeah did, what a great i mean uh, honestly and those and you listen to those early kiss records they're really fun records i mean they're super oh, easy to play yeah. too so that inspired me to learn bar chords 
Uh, and the lyrics are simple and stupid. And so I was really inspired by that. But also the, you know, the early singer songwriters, the, the storytellers, the Harry Chapins and James Taylors and Cat Stevens and the, like it, these guys that would tell a linear story, especially Harry Chapin, you know, that's where most of my lyric writing uh, inspiration came from. That's where the freshman came from, tell a linear story. Uh, I've learned to be more simple about it now. The freshman's very convoluted and and uh, doesn't make any sense at parts. But but honestly, I think that that's why I think the store the songwriting has grown now because I've I've been able to simplify things in a more Dylan way, in a more uh, Neil Young way. Uh, just have great imagery, you know, and learn and learn from that. So you know. Uh, but so it was a combination of Kiss and then James Taylor, you know, which was kind of yeah. an odd dichotomy. And James Taylor became a huge inspiration for me as my own personal Jesus. Like I had a kindergarten teacher who said, she said, um, she said, make Jesus a friend, pick, pick somebody and make it, make Jesus your invisible friend. And he can, you put a happy face on him, not the face of the guy up on the cross, you know, she said something like, my, my Jesus is Donny Osmond, and I talk to him every day. Or something like that. Wow. I made James Taylor my personal Jesus, and I would have conversations with him. He with sort James of looked Taylor like Jesus at that period. My imaginary Jesus. And the great thing was, was that I used to call him sweet baby James Jesus. <laughs> that was so good. Honestly, this turns out to be the greatest curse ever. Sweet baby James Jesus. Are you kidding <laughs> <laughs> and I would do that as a oh kid. I'd be like, peanut butter and jelly in the same jar. Sweet baby James Jesus. What are they thinking? <laughs> you know? I'm, oh my God. I'm so, I'm so taking it because man, I love that song. And I love James. Taylor. <laughs> no, I know. It's so, I know. It's so good. But honestly, I, I had that imaginary James Taylor Jesus for the longest time. And actually, you know, I knew that when, you know, when Kurt Cobain broke, when Nirvana and Kurt broke everything open for the kind of music that I like, because I was listening to the Pixies and Bob Mould and Husker Du and all those guys. When it finally got to the mainstream and I was writing the freshman, I was like, Maybe I'll give a little nod to James because I used to pick up his the needle on the record, the James Taylor records, and learn the riffs. And like you, you, you know, bring the needle back a little bit, and you know, each time a couple seconds, you learn these riffs. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to finger pick this song, and I finger picked the freshman, and that was kind of a nod to my growing up listening to James Taylor. You know, anyway. I, did, wow. I, got off, I got off topic, didn't I? No. Yeah. It's, we're never, we're constantly told that we're off topic. And apparently <laughs> that's, the, that's kind of the thing. I think that's People the love appeal. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm the glad. appeal. Okay, good. So, I, I, you know, you guys have, you've never slowed down. I mean, you've been putting out music for I, I've, like what, 30 yeah. something years now? Yeah. I mean, 10, I think 10 albums, not including the kids stuff, you know, uh, you know, we put out a couple of kids albums that went over great. And, uh, you know, it's about songwriting. I don't, I I'm always thinking about a song. I'm always thinking about writing a current song we're working on or current album or something. So it, there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not trying to figure out a puzzle piece of a song, you know, um, which AI is ruining now because somebody showed me, you can just say, Hey, I'll write a song about a tattoo. <laughs> And I looked at this yeah. thing. I'm like, Holy shit! And it's not bad. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna write. Right from I, I did one the other day that was write a song in the vein of Stephen Malcolmus about schizophrenia that does not use the word schizophrenia. 
Holy shit. And that came up. Did it come up? Did it come out all right? I mean, like what I wanted it, like what I wanted, not exactly, but I was like, you know, if I could put music to it, like everyone would like it. It was easily something that people could consume because it wasn't terribly convoluted or weird or or obtuse or anything. It was a little direct, like very direct and to the point. Well, the thing is, is that we're all looking for prompts, you know, and typically I'd watch a movie or I'd read something in a book, you know, whatever I'm reading. I go, oh, I like that. I like that line or whatever. What I learned just doing that one thing about this tattoo song was that there was a dozen prompts in there, like little phrases, two words put together that I wouldn't normally do. And I go, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Stop this. <laughs> do I have to give co-writing to a robot? Piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the thrill of songwriting and the lyric has always been important to me. And the thrill of that is like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with doing puzzles. It really is a puzzle piece. It's like I got to find a line that's better, that fits better in here. It's this is close, but it doesn't quite fit in there. And that's the challenge. And that's why I've written so many songs, you know, and AIs would ruin it if I ever went back to it, you know. So, yeah. And it's awesome because sometimes you solve that puzzle in an hour, or sometimes that puzzle is the thing that sits on the table forever, you know. It's too, it's just like a puzzle piece could be. You know, a puzzle can be, you know, 10 pieces and it's simple and it's easy and it just like flows. I go, oh, that's this and this and this and this and boom, that worked. You know, I don't need to mess that up. For me, the more interesting ones are the 500 piece, you know, 1,000 piece, 5,000 piece puzzle where it's like, I got to make this work better. I got to and I drive myself crazy trying to make it work. But when it finally gets together, that's the, that's where you go, Oh man, I really did something, you know, not that anybody would hear it, you know, but the honest to God's truth is like, it's like with us in the band, you know, I, my brother and I formed the band and we're, we're, we're the group of guys uh, now that, that just get us. And we all have the same sense of humor. It's like, we do, we do things and say things and play things to make ourselves laugh or make ourselves happy. Yeah. And that's the age that we're all at. Right. And that's, that's how we're, you know, we're having a great time at it. If we were trying to please everyone else, then there would be no fun. It'd be so boring to me. Yeah. I, I heard a really interesting interview with the guys that did, that wrote the show beef. It was on Netflix. I don't know if, if you guys show. have seen it. Oh, it's unbelievable. But F- yeah. fell, fell asleep watching it last night. Like, I might have got three episodes in. It's yeah. it's so good. Yeah, it's and, so it, good. I, and I, you know, Brian, it, there is an interesting, like, evangelical moment in the middle of the, the, the series. I know, right? So, I, like, it's I funny, too. To- I, just, I swear to God, I just got chills because that was one of those moments where, you know, I've got two members in the band that are in that do uh, music for a church, right? And they're not, listen, between you and I, they're not particularly religious or anything. I think they're in it for the paycheck. But frankly, the money, it the pays, man. more money than God. Yeah, I was going to say, it pays. Uh, but the one time I went to go see what they were doing, you know, I hadn't been into a church in years, and they sang that Raise a Hallelujah song. And then I saw Beef, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know this song. They yeah. just, you know, it was like perfect. The The whole scene was perfect. And it's great acting, too. So, but, oh, I mean, unbelievable show, which is a whole other thing we can talk about. But I, in this interview, these guys said that they, in the writer's room, kept coming back to this idea of storytelling as rock and roll chord progressions. 
which I thought was really interesting in saying that okay. you can go from a G to a D to an E minor to a C and that there is a right. relief in the way you pattern those things to culminate, right? right? And that what yep. they kept doing in that storytelling was cutting off the full culmination so that it would be uneven until they wanted to sustain a beat. And I was like, Brilliant. Wow. I, I know. It was, I was like, it just clicked so much in my head because, you know, yeah. Murdoch and I just clicked in my head. I mean, I, I never would have made that connection, but absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think most storytelling and music work together in that way. You know, and I think that, you know, that's why any any art form can inspire another art, you know, uh, and that's where I get my inspiration is from, again, watching movies, seeing these kinds of things. And when I wrote Colorful for Rockstar, it was the same thing, looking at the character and thinking about, well, is this in a minor key? Is it in a major key? What part of the movie is this going to be in the whole thing? And figuring that you needed something kind of uplifting and you needed to be self-deprecating for him, you know, going through the metamorphosis of who his character is and the whole thing. So, yeah, they work they work in tandem, you know. The best songs, I think, the best songs and the great the greatest movies or shows work in tandem with music. You know, think of how many how many movies out there wouldn't be the same without the think of any Scorsese movie where he uses the stones, you know. Oh yeah. Or yeah. whatever where you go, holy shit, or that great scene in Goodfellas. I think he used I think he used can't get no satisfaction by the Devo, the Devo's version of that, I think, <laughs> if I recall. Or maybe uh maybe was it was Sun- Are you talking about Sunshine of Your Love when he when De Niro decides he's gonna he's gonna whack him? Like there's that no. long, that long that's my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's great. It's great. No, no but I'm talking about the scene where uh where Ray Liotta gets caught. You know, when he's mm. when the helicopters oh. are around. I forget what song was playing. Was it Jumping oh, the Fire or Jumping to the Fire by yeah, Aaron that's Nielsen? Yeah. That's what it was. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway. So and every time every time I heard that song, like when after oh. that came out in the early nineties, like I just thought about cocaine. And I wouldn't think <laughs> about like Harry Nielsen or like, you know, like any of those beautiful maybe songs that he wrote. If you think maybe you had a <laughs> you had a problem or <laughs> no, no. I I was completely freaked out and didn't understand the idea of being sweaty and paranoid and looking up right. at helicopter like all that seemed really right. fucked up yeah um so that was that was really those weird. are like the scare then there'd be like the scare films we saw when we were kids when when i was a kid they used to show us these they'd call them scare films or fright films or something in school about you know oh yeah oh and you can see those go to youtube and you can watch those old ones and i could see why it freaked me out when i was you know a kid yeah Dude, i watch both ways before you cross the street and it shows a girl getting run over by a bus and they show that to kids <laughs> so, they show that to fucking kids i i had a uh, my wife had a roommate uh back in the day who said who told her that her her mom showed her and her siblings sleepers uh to to oh, do you yeah, remember yeah. that movie Oh yeah, I remember that. Brad Pitt and the, yes, the, and, yeah. and and basically they cre- they accidentally cause a eh, sort of commit a crime slash cause an accident when they're kids and they end up going to prison and she showed it yeah. to them to get them yeah. to behave as kids. Scared you straight? <laughs> yeah, I was like not to pick on street vendors. I think that's what that was. I th- or yeah, I thought I thought very differently of this girl for the rest of the time that our lives intersected because I was like, good god, what do, what else did she have to endure at her house as she grew up? You know what's funny is like up. if you think back about when you think about that and you think about how you know your parents might have raised you by showing you these types of things when you know they always say like the 50s and the 60s were this television era where you know where uh kids were being raised by television 
But I think it's much more, of course, it's much more true now. I mean, kids are glued to the screen and then are influenced by, you know, television much more than, uh, than their parents, unless the parents are, have, make a concerted effort, you know, which you hope most parents do. I try to. Um, but, you know, the raising of kids and, and showing them something, the, it's the easy way to, to uh, send a message to your kid is to say, well, hey, watch this watch this particular episode of this show and then we'll talk about it later. I've done that before with my kids. You know, we have discussions about, you know, drugs and try to have discussions about sex with my daughters, but that never goes over. It ends up being cringe for some reason. Yeah. I'm doing the best that I can, Uh, people. Yeah. Teenage daughters, by the way. Oh yeah. I was going to ask you how old your kids are. So yeah, I've got a teenage Uh, daughter and an almost teenage son. 17, 12 are my daughters and then my yeah. boys, uh, seven. So, wow. I have two girls and they're 19. I mean, back here for summer, but has a job like killing it. Um, yeah. and then 13. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm like, and I, I don't even think I'm, I, I guess I'm an accessory sometimes in the household. Like it feels, you know, it's like they they <laughs> don't want to hang out. Yeah. yeah. They don't, it's over. Same thing. I, mean, I guess well, I mean, when you have, I have a presence, somewhat of a presence on TikTok too, and uh, and my kids run across my TikTok stuff, and you know if there's a if there's a little video I make about masturbation or something, I'm like, oh, I got to be very careful. <laughs> <sighs> and well, my kids yeah. follow me, and their friends follow me, and like, oh my god, why is your dad pretending like he's masturbating? <laughs> <laughs> so Murdoch and I's first show uh, 10 years ago when our kids were little uh, was uh, with comedians mostly. And so we would get into some pretty blue territory. And yeah. I and we, through a, a series of events, have lost most of that audio to the ether. And I'm not all that sad because I don't necessarily want that <laughs> yeah. to come back up. Our, our conversation with Steve-O when we were talking about something like you just mentioned we're, or something. We were talking about Motley Crue and that th- those stories. And right. Remember we had we had Pauly Shore on and his warm-up guy came with him and did Pauly Shore and Pauly never got on the mic. Yeah, we just interviewed oh, we interviewed the other comedian as Pauly Shore. Like that was he a sounded, whole thing. He, 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 he sounded just like him. So it was <laughs> did you let amazing. Did you let uh, did you give away that it wasn't him or did you like go with the illusion this was on radio so yeah. you got away with it yeah yeah i mean yeah. I, well, we, miss, we may have this is our podcast yeah well, i can't i can't remember if we let that out of the bag or not yeah, oh, i would have let it go and just <laughs> let let that go it's like all, tony clifton you know and, and andy kaufman uh, just like let it go yeah just uh i like i like to hear tony clifton's voice it makes me happy every time i hear <laughs> so great whoever is doing the so brilliant. That. That's one of those things that took this many years for people to look back and go, how brilliant that was. It was yeah. so brilliant that the guy could be, it's like blue man group, you know, now there's a blue man group in every city. You know what I mean? It's like, and the guy that invented the blue man group is making a fortune and sitting home. You know. Yeah. And Josh Freeze, who joined the Foo Fighters, his brother is a percussionist with the blue man group. And that's crazy. Really? I did not know that factoid. Yeah. yeah. Talented guys, man. Talented percussionists. I got to give them that. I think, you know, Blas Elias to come full circle again. Blas, who who was the drummer in Slaughter, was in Rockstar with me. I think he does it too. I'm pretty sure he does Blue Man Group, believe it or not. Yeah, we were like Slaughter's playing up here. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we've saw, had a conversation, Brian, I, in the last 12 hours about going to see Slaughter. 
or I want to, or at least interviewing Mark. I really, I want to interview Dana. I want to talk to Dana because yeah. Dana has done like he he apparently introduced Ozzy to Randy and then Crazy. to Jakey Lee and all those things. Or whatever. Brian, have you read the book? We had the guys on that wrote the book. Um, what was that? What's that called? Nothing but a good time. Is that what that book was yeah, called? Murdoch. It was called, and Nothing it's an oral history of uh, of eighty. So they get Mark and they get all, Dana and they get all no. these, but they get dudes from all of those bands it's like pretty comprehensive it. it's so fucking oh. good we call it one of the bibles of this show like because it there's so much we refer back to to that particular i will definitely get it I yeah and, and it isn't it isn't one of those like lightweight stupid ones either i mean yeah. it's 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 really good we had when we had thick. a conversation with the it's yeah it's big and we had a conversation with the author we talked about vito brada from white lion for probably like a straight five minutes about, <laughs> yeah. and like that was good airtime for him like being this amazing right. guitar player that just you know he dropped out he split right I read the last, I think the last rock and roll thing I read was the Motley Crue. Oh yeah. And that was, and I, I had, I ha, it has to be the last one because I'm not really a biography uh, guy when it comes to music. I love the, the I love the um, movie biographies of directors, you know, the Kubrick and all these other biographies about their life. But, but the, I think it was Neil Strauss, right. That wrote the Motley Crue one mm-hmm. with those yeah. guys. And I thought that was great. I thought that was terrific. I never saw the movie. I think they made a movie out of that too. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, it was kind of a, well, I was really a letdown and it kind of sucked and it the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But um, like machine gun Kelly is, is Tommy Lee in the movie, which oh, yeah. totally, totally wild. Yeah. Yeah, I've read that book and given that book away and then rented again or bought that book. Yeah. Um, just because it's uh I don't know. I mean, I don't it seems like it's all like hyperbole. I mean, have you mm-hmm. ever you ever put your penis in a burrito before you head home to see your girlfriend? Like that's in there. <laughs> yeah. That it's like the most disgusting, amazing yeah. things. <laughs> Oh, wow. Brian, I can't believe we just are all hanging out. This is awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us. This is Oh, my God. Yeah. We started yet? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, man. Uh, (laughs) What do you have coming? I mean, I know you guys are touring all the time. So what do you have coming up in the next six months? Uh, We're going out with um, uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket for a few weeks, which is great because we – I'll tell you what's great. You know, typically we like to go out with a little more – harder rock and roll stuff because we can really let our hair down and let it let it go but the great thing about toad is that we get to play more songs that are thoughtful you know what i mean their audiences it's like we went out with five for fighting for a few weeks last year their audience was were great because we can play songs we can we can do you know i can channing lee is my writing partner and she and i will play an acoustic song together that we wrote off the new album. And it's very Simon and Garfunkel-esque and people love that, you know, that age, the fans of five for fighting like that kind of shit. I think the fans of Toad the wet sprocket like that. You can be a little more diverse. You don't have to go hit them over the head every night. You right. can slow things down. You could play two mellow songs in a row, that kind of thing. And it's, it's a better dynamic of a show. So I'm really looking forward to playing with Glenn and, uh, and those guys, because it's going to be a blast. But yeah, we tour. We we just got back from Utah last late last night. Just did a one off. So we do those, and you know, we still write. We're working finishing our eleventh album now, and uh, it's fun. I'm still having a blast, man. I can't imagine retiring. Why would you ever retire? I'm going to be that. I'm already past the age of the guys from Kiss when we went out <laughs> with them. Where I was so disturbed by that. Like I'm well past that age now, and I'm like, 
I, I look at guys like Alice Cooper and Willie Nelson, and I'm like, fuck yeah. Why would Keep I ever going. stop doing this? Keep going. I, so you did bring up something that I, I did want to ask you about, which I, I think is really interesting. So probably the biggest song that you guys are known for throughout your history is, is a very soft, quiet song. Right. Wow. Yeah. How, how is that? I mean, being a rock band, but being known for a yeah. song that is a ballad that is played, you know, in films and TV where bad things are happening. You know what I mean? Like, how yeah. how do you balance that? It's hot. I mean, honestly, back then I fought it. I fought it tooth and nail. I wanted the song. I wanted the freshman to die because <laughs> I was like, we're a rock band. We got to get to the next song, which I think the next song was Villains, which yeah. is a pretty hard rocking song. Yeah. The song before it was Cup of Tea, which right. is hard rock. And the song before that was Photograph, which is not as rocking, but it's still yeah, it, kind it of rocking. Yeah. And then they wanted to go with Penny is Poison on that album, which is another ballad. And I'm like, no way no way we're getting to the rock and it was totally the wrong move had we leaned into the ballad thing i think we would have gone a lot farther on commercial radio but honestly no regrets i mean i feel like i feel like the album villains really stands up as a very 90s sounding record i i, lo- I really like the lyrics on on the entire record i don't think there's a stinker on that album and i've written stinkers on other albums you know <laughs> so honestly to be known for that song and it being a ballad Honestly, if you think about it, how I grew up, it's authentic. I grew up yeah. finger picking. I'm honoring sweet baby James Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I know. I, 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 I listen. I, I'm giving give you a challenge today. At least three times, I want each of you to say "sweet baby James Jesus" when you can't do I, something. Either it's a curse or a blessing. Like you're like excited or you're fucking pissed off. I'm I'm doing it today. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that, absolutely. Today and every day. Today and every day. Yeah. Uh, Brian, thank you so much, man. Where where can people learn more about? What's the best website for folks to hit up and, and your Instagram uh, and TikTok and all that always stuff? The, always the verfpipe.com or brianvanderark.com. Join me on TikTok. I have a blast on TikTok making movies. I, you know, I've got this fake feud going on with Rob Thomas. That's, that's really <laughs> fun. And, uh, Oh my God. I am so into this. Oh, hashtag fucking Rob Thomas. I mean, you'll see, you'll see on there, like it's ridiculous. And, uh, and he's, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world, which is why I pick on him, but I'll also go into random karaoke bars and I'll go up and sing the freshman and then have nobody recognize me, which is great too. And then, and then the DJ will go, let's give it up for Brian, everyone. You know, it's a blast. So I recommend, they go to the verb pipe tiktok page too because that's a lot of fun that's and we awesome. i interact with people there too so. that's awesome anyway all right thanks, don't ever dude. come see me doing uh matchbox 20 at karaoke the last time i did that was in the early 2000s and they pulled the sliders all the way down and pointed uh, me off like they needed it they needed the, well i well i i wasn't i wasn't really trying to do rob i was right. just trying i was just trying to you know, whatever, 18 Budweiser's or whatever you get into it. And you're just, you know, it's right. 3 a.m. I'm feeling lonely. Yeah. You know, it's like you're just trying to get, you're just kind of bust through the lines as fast as you can. Yeah. That's funny because I, I've always thought that the the hosts of karaoke are the most forgiving group of people ever. And not for you. Apparently. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and there was a, there was a, we called, we called the karaoke host Creed. Because he only did Creed songs, and then <laughs> then the, someone from the kitchen would come out, and we called him Kitchen Creed because he only did Creed songs. Oh, good lord! Why? Oh, 
<laughs> last, my flies wide open. Last story. I what yeah. in, in, in college. I, this this just reminded me of this. I had a. Uh, <clears throat> I had somebody, I was trying to find a band to sing in, you know, because I had these rock and roll fantasies thought I could sing. And I answered an ad and they were like asking me like what my vocal style was and stuff. And I was like, basically answered just to condense the story, basically answered like very thoughtfully, but the real, what it boiled down to was anything but Creed. And I thought it was pretty clear that it, I wasn't going to be right. singing like that. And they came back and they're like, cool. So our big influence is Creed. And I lost my shit. Like, I don't uh, lose my shit on people. And I just wrote back and I was like, did you read my fucking email? Like, no. I was like, and, and they wrote back and they were like, dude, don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did not join that band. Just a uh, spoiler alert. You got to know by now, you never, never put the name of a band you hate or associate with you because now forever they're going to know, oh yeah, he's the Creed guy. Whether yeah. it was positive or negative, yeah. you're That's always so going to be the Creed guy. That's so funny. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you hanging out with us and giving us some of your time and best of luck on everything. Thanks, guys. A lot of fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Gotta get arrested To keep you interested And I should've known that I can change the world by staring at it Liar